Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of conflict in the world. Uh, there are conflicts over um, political things. There are conflicts over this, uh, the things of this uh, virus. There are conflicts in our schools right now. There are conflicts between nations, um, even within homes. And how do we make sense of these things? Well, our passage shows us some things today about conflict. Sometimes in conflicts, it's hard to discern who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. Um, Who's right and who's wrong? Well, the passage that we will look at today will answer these questions. Because ultimately, there is one great conflict that matters. And that is between what is good and what is evil. It is ordained by God's decree in this passage that it should be so. God has purposes in the process of this conflict, and God has the outcome already promised. And we will look at these things, how they will play out, how they will end, and how they began. First of all, as we look at our passage, these are two short verses which give us a scope of all of this time in which we live a scope that is explained and given in more detail through the rest of the scriptures. God, though, in this little passage, this short decree, established something by cursing the serpent. Now, the context of this is important because right before this, you'll remember that the man and the woman had been given and entrusted with the care of this whole world and blessed to, be, uh, to multiply and to be fruitful in this world, the serpent comes along, who is the devil, and tempted them, and they sinned. Now, right before our passage today, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, remember that? That specific name shows up 20 times in this longer passage, addresses a question to the man and to the woman. After our passage... The Lord will decree what is the proper punishment, the curse, to the woman and the man. But what we have here with the serpent is, there is no question asked to this serpent, who is the devil. And that should tell us, this stands out, something is different about this. Well, what is different? If you notice that the question is not posed, no question is posed to the serpent, And we ask the question, why? Well, the reason is this, and I want to use the words of of a preacher that I like from a previous generation. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, that before the fall of man, there was another fall. What that means is this, that the serpent, Satan, the devil, was at a point before this all happened, one of God's greatest angels probably the greatest angel of all that God had made among these heavenly beings. And that being, who is called the devil, Satan, Lucifer, rebelled against God with a host of other angels, and God cast them out of heaven. There was a breaking of this, of this heavenly host that were to serve God and to serve humanity and to enjoy the glory of God's presence. It happened before all of these things happen 
in Eden. And what happened was, this devil who wanted to exalt himself was humbled. It was his pride in saying, I want to be great like God. I want to be worshipped like God. And so he tried to have a place that was higher than what God had given him. In all the glory that he had, being God's created being, he wanted more. He wanted what belonged to God, and so God cast him out of heaven. The Lord God um, and Satan, what you see in this passage, are not peers. When God addresses this great and awful being, this awful being who is Satan must stand at attention, must receive what is given. Some people make a mistake that these are equal powers battling against each other. It is not so. God is great, far beyond Satan. And when God speaks, the devil is paralyzed and must stand, must listen, must submit and receive the words given by the Lord God. And so he does. So we will see under three headings what God decrees to this great enemy of God and of mankind. First, we see the humiliation that is rightly um, received and decreed by God. In Genesis 3.14, it says this, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, something you need to continue to understand in this is that the, uh, the, the, the thing that happened there, not everyone agrees with what it means that he's using this serpent. Did Satan appear as a serpent, as he could appear as an angel of light? Did he possess the, the, uh, the physical body of a serpent in that garden? We don't know. But the scripture has explained that this ancient serpent is the devil. And so that we can be clear on. But what we have in these words are a picture of what God did to Satan displayed in what we see of snakes now. This is, first of all, an appropriate punishment. God says, because you have done this, the punishment corresponds to the sin. The sin of Satan was that he exalted himself. And in this he does it again. By getting humanity to rebel against God in disobedience, he was grasping for a kingdom that did not belong to him. And he attained it. He attained a kingdom in this world, a dominion that is now considered a dominion of darkness. He did that. But Jesus said this, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And so we see this with God's decree. Because you have done this, because you have tried to exalt yourself, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. Satan who wanted to be above all of these others in glory. God says with, with poetic justice, you will be above them in your humiliation. As all of the kingdom of all of this realm is cursed, you will be cursed beyond these. You will be humbled proportionately to how you wanted to exalt yourself. There is an oracle 
uh, spoken in Ezekiel. There's one in Isaiah chapter 14 that historically has been understood to be a parallel thing where first you see the oracle of judgment that is to be upon the king of Babylon, but then there are words and descriptions that are used that go beyond a human realm. And the word, the, the word that is translated day star in our ESV is in some translations translated Lucifer. That's where we get that name. And this is the oracle that is spoken, which is to be understood in a two, in, on two levels. One of this human judgment of the king of Babylon and one of Satan himself. So listen to this, what God says about this judgment. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, or O Lucifer. Son of dawn, this picture of this beautiful being that was. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Do you see how God's justice works here? Satan, who wanted to exalt himself to be like God, has been thrown down, has been cast down. Before the fall of man, there was another fall. And here, God decrees something that is just the same as his fall from heaven. He wanted to be great in glory. God says, you wanted to be great in glory? No. You will be great in humiliation. Cursed are you above the livestock, above the beasts of the field. He says, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Friends, we should learn a lesson. The Scripture says, in fact, uh, one of our passages that we will also touch on, says that when God does these things, people will marvel. When Satan himself is judged we will look on and we will say, that is an awesome thing. People who are deceived by the devil look on and they are in awe with, with, with the glory that is so temporal, that is so of this world and temporary. Some people, have, we have to all learn this lesson because some people are so intoxicated with praise, with the thoughts of their own greatness and their superiority over others and it drives them I, I tell our faculty often in fact I wrote something that we read in our in-service a few years ago saying don't give our students spiritual pride don't give them spiritual cancer which is pride C.S. Lewis wrote about this sometimes as a coach in a sport Sometimes uh, when you're raising children in different ways, when you have authority over others, you can appeal to pride in them to get them to do one thing. And one way that you hear this in our time, in our culture, is that an authority, let's say a coach, will say to an athlete, you should have done better. And then they'll say this, you are better than that. Now what are they doing? They're saying, I want you to do all the reps that the rest of your teammates are doing. Because I want you to grow and develop as an athlete. But what they do is they say, you are better than that. You are greater than the way that you acted right here. And what they're doing is they're, they're instilling a cancer of spiritual pride. 
And we must not do that. We are made in God's image. And when we fail, we need, we need forgiveness. We need repentance. We need Christ. Um, we don't need to be told that we are great and we should live up to our greatness. That is the sin that caused the devil to become the devil. So God says, cursed are you above all. This is the poetic justice of God. Um, so we have this idea of above and below. And then he says to this serpent, you will choke on this very dust that you despise. God made Adam from the dust of the ground. And now God says to this serpent, you have usurped a kingdom in this world. You have caused my image bearers to fall in rebellion against me. And they will be punished. But you know what? You'll be choking on this dust that you so despise, which you think you are so above. And so God sets this. And he says another thing. He says, how long will this happen? God says, all the days of your life. Now think about this. Satan is a created being of heavenly glory. And now God is saying, your days are numbered. This decree, which God is giving, will have a limit. Satan will run with this curse for so long, and that day will come to an end. Okay? So, <clears throat> Satan has received what he deserved. He has received humiliation for what he has done. Now, <clears throat> next we see, as we turn to verse 15, that this brings about a long conflict. And the important thing that I want us to see in this is that God has decreed this war. God has decreed that there will be a war. Um, when, I, when I lived overseas in the Philippines, it was before the war in Iraq. Okay? This is in 2002 that most of this was heating up. And I learned to be hyper-vigilant. It really had an effect on me. Um, I would ride my motorcycle around, and there were these bombings, and there were these kidnappings that were happening. And the Westerners were the targets. And I had this sense that there was a war happening around me that was more, uh, more close to my, my thinking than normally we experience in this country. If I rode in my, my motorcycle next to a bus, I couldn't get it out of my head. What if there is a bus bomb on this one? And so it was in my head, and I was more vigilant all the time. Here, God shows us there is a war that is happening. God has ordained it to be so. The first part of this, in verse 15, says it this way. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, God is decreeing something to happen according to his plan. And what we need to see is this is the wisdom of God. God is orchestrating this great battle that is happening. Now, first, what is enmity? Enmity, E-N-M-I-T-Y, is an extreme hostility, a hatred an opposition, okay? And he says there are two sides. There's the woman and there's the serpent, okay? The woman represents all humanity, all image bearers. She will be the mother of all the living. And the other side is Satan and all who are under him, all of these uh, spiritual forces that we call demons. This is spiritual war. And here, God has decreed that this will play out as it is. The Lord God's plan is a process that is happening, a playing out of a great conflict. So here's something that we have to do. We have to understand. 
we have to comprehend that Satan is causing and will cause all humanity as much harm as he can. Okay? This is the reason that there is so much evil in this world. It is the plan. It says in Ephesians 6.12, for we, this is written to Christians to give us a perspective of this heavenly battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay? You know, sometimes we think the lines of people that are good and evil are between uh, two political parties or between uh, people that think the way we do or think opposite the way we do. People that listen to one news source versus another news source. It is not so. Okay? The battle, the ultimate battle between good and evil is this, that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We have to be wise about this. We have to know um, that this is um, the way things really are and to be able to discern it. Now, it speaks, there's a, there's a system of evil because of this. Because, because the devil has usurped and has established this type of authority that he does have, he has to be defeated. We have to be rescued from that. But what he is doing is he is orchestrating evil as much as he can. But how do you delineate what is good from what is evil? Who is on which side? There's a picture of this in Revelation in chapter 17 and 18 where we see a great harlot, which is also called a city. But the purpose, the thing that's explained is that this is a system of evil in this world and it's called Babylon the Great. Very similar, very similar to Isaiah 14. What you see is this. Um, there's a call for God's people to leave the system of evil that is in this world. Um, I think of the, the, the quote of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He says, the, the line that distinguishes what is good from what is evil, it can't be, it can't be drawn on a, on a map of nations because that line runs through the, the very heart of every human being. God says this. This is the call to turn to him and leave this system of evil that is in this world. In verse 4 of Revelation 18, it says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share her plagues. So there is a system of evil. We are called to come out of it. Now, how does it work? If you, if you want to take this afternoon and just look at those two passages, 17 and 18 in the book of Revelation, what you'll see is this. There is a, a draw. There's a lure into this system where people can find uh, satisfaction in worldly things. People are tempted by greed and by power. Uh, people are, are tempted into pleasures of the world with pride. And so people will become great in this system. People that are willing to do wrong so that they can have the things of this world. God says, you can't love the world in that way. You must turn away from it. You must love the eternal things. You must not love this kingdom that is of this world. You must set your heart on my kingdom. Okay? And with that will come persecution. With that will come a, a conflict, because the more you are identified with God's kingdom, you will be the target 
of this dominion, this kingdom of darkness. This is the thing that's happening all around us. Now, we need to understand this. You can't escape this conflict. You who are made in God's image must choose which kingdom you will serve. You must, you, must, you must know that there is evil and there is good, and you will not escape that. There is hope, however. There is hope beyond this in Christ. You see, because of this great kingdom, we have been brought into bondage under an authority which we cannot escape by our power. So, this is how you can make sense of good and evil, of right and wrong. There's not a way to escape it completely, but there is a way to prevail through it. Uh, John, in 1 John 3, writes this about the different people that are in this world. And what we see is that there are children who are of God. This is the language John uses. And there are children who are of the devil. This is the language that he uses. In 1 John 3, it says that every single person belongs in one camp or the other, whether we know it or not. Okay? And this is how he says it. He says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Do you see what's happening here? Everyone begins under this dominion, under this slavery to sin and the dominion of the devil. But the way that a person is removed from that kingdom and brought into, like the language of Colossians 1, delivered from a dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, is by being born of God. Now this is the language of 1 John 3, where, where Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again, you must be born from above. Well, how does this happen? Well, by turning to this Redeemer, by turning to Christ. In Him, He has rescued us from this dominion. So, how will this great conflict finally be resolved? Now we get to what is called the first gospel. With the bruising of a heel and the bruising of a head. Look at, again at verse 15. It says this, After it says, I will put enemy between you and the woman, it says, and between your offspring and her offspring. Okay, these are singular terms. There is a great conflict to be played out, and it will come down to individuals warring at each other, representing these two kingdoms. It says, He shall bruise your head, speaking to the serpent, and he shall bruise your heel. Sorry, you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel, speaking to the serpent. Now, uh, something that we were praying about this morning in, in the early prayer meeting, I invite you to join that. Um, 8.15 to 8.45 each week. We pray for the ministries of Sunday. Um, we heard a little devotion about how we should be not content in this world. Uh, we should be uncomfortable in this world because it's like this C.S. Lewis quote. It wasn't a part of the devotions, but it reminded me of it. C.S. Lewis, Lewis said, if I find in myself desires that cannot be satisfied by anything in this world, there's only one logical conclusion, and that is, that is that I am made for another world. 
There should be a discontent, a longing for something else outside of all of this. But first, we must escape this bondage, this slavery to this evil slave master. And we can find that in a longing to find a home where it is good, where good prevails and not evil. So what we see in this, in this last part is a final defeat under her seed, okay, under her offspring, this individual. This is a singular term. What is God decreeing here? God is decreeing a redeemer. God is saying, and, and just picture the woman and the man are standing there, and God is saying, one will come from her that will crush your head, Satan. A fatal wound. Offspring, like we said, could be translated as seed. Her offspring is singular, meaning one person, born of a human. And this one will do two things here. Will bruise Satan's head. And bruise means, you could translate that crush or hurt. Okay? There's a picture here. The second thing is that this one person will have his heel bruised or crushed. And so you picture this, okay? This is, uh, this is something that probably happens hundreds of times around this world every year where a serpent, a snake, is, is there where someone is walking by and, and, and a person steps and then a, a, a serpent latches on to the heel and just the teeth sink in and the venom is just pumping in through this heel but then this, this man will take his other foot while it's latched on and crush the serpent's head. This is a quick little picture of God saying, this is what will happen to you, devil. It's a conflict, and which ends with the man stomping on the head of this snake. And it's a vivid poetic language foretelling God's plan. Well, when did this happen? It happened here. This verse is called the, the Proto-Evangelion. The Proto-Euangelion. It's the first good news that we get in the Bible because it promises someone who will come and take this captor under which we are, we are held captive and will crush his head. Because before we can escape this dominion of darkness, we need someone who is strong enough to rescue us from his control, from his evil domain. This happened at the cross. This happened when Jesus was crucified. What happened was he dealt a deadly blow, a fatal wound to Satan. This is an awesome thing that God did. Now, the way God predicted it was that the twofold bruising would happen. You'll try, you will crush him, he will crush you. How did Satan crush Jesus? We read in John 13 that, that Satan put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus to death for money. Satan was orchestrating this. Satan was like a serpent who was waiting and then struck a deadly blow at this Messiah, at the Son of God. But Jesus, in that same conflict, also struck a deadly blow. Jesus, while he was dying, and even in his death, crushed the head of Satan by dying through his death, because he, a perfect representation of humanity, God who became like us, always had obeyed God, now took the punishment that we deserve. He, he absorbed the venom, this deadly poison that our sins deserve. 
which is death. And He took it all. And when He took it all, He died 100%. But what happened was, after three days, He revived. That is an amazing thing. Through His death, He redeems all who trust in Him. What happened was then that the cross exposed Satan and it disarmed Satan and it, 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 it exposed all these demonic forces and it won a decisive victory to set people free, to set us alive in Christ, to give us freedom. You can read about this in Colossians 2 where it says that God made us alive together with Jesus. There's no salvation except in union with this one, the seed of the woman. But in Christ, as we trust in Him, there is life for us. And because of what He did, it says that what He did on that cross was He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands, the, the laws that we have broken, the sin that we have sinned. He canceled that. He wrote, paid in full by my death for you. And then it says this, This He set aside, all the penalties, Nailing it to the cross. Jesus nailed our sins to the cross. They're paid for. They're gone. And when he did that, he did something to this dominion of darkness, this kingdom of evil. It says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, something there happened that was decisive, that is being played out now in a very different way since his death on the cross. He, when he came alive again, he appeared to his disciples and he gave the Great Commission. And you remember how he started the Great Commission? Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he commissions his, his disciples and all of us who follow after them. He says, Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. He says, surely I will be with you until the end of the age. What is he saying when he says all authority? Well, there was an authority that Adam held, which was truly lost, which is why the temptation of Jesus was so real when, the, when Satan said, I'll give you these kingdoms. They were his to give. That was a true temptation, but it was a shortcut. And it was a turning away from God's word and God's plan. So Jesus did regain authority, established the authority of his kingdom in this world. And so as these things are playing out, there is a dominion of darkness. There is a kingdom that belongs to Christ. And then one day, all these things will come to an end. This serpent, who is the devil, who is still active, who, who knows his time is short, the scriptures say that as well, will one day be finally defeated. And here's an amazing thing. We, who are in Christ, are part of the process of His demise. As we live in Christ in this world, as we take up a cross, as we make disciples, as we live lives of love and of hope and of peace in this world, contrary to this darkness and this evil, we are a part of this process one day, we will see his demise. He will be thrown into a, a lake of fire, Revelation 20.10. He who deceived them was thrown into a lake of fire and of sulfur. 
And that's where he will remain, tormented day and night, forever and ever. We will see that. And this great, long conflict God has ordained will be over, and we will marvel. We will say, in all of his greatness and in all of his glory, look at his ruin. and Look at his final place. It has been foretold to us as a portent. Don't be a part of his kingdom. Leave it. Flee it. Find refuge in Christ. It says this in Romans 6.20, which we read earlier, that there are those who cause divisions, even within churches, and the heart of those divisions are by turning away from what the Bible says, turning away from sound doctrine. That's why we hold so firmly to the Scriptures as our authority, as our guide. And it says this. Now look at the interesting language borrowed from this passage from today. The believers, the Christians are told this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amazing. Amazing. In Christ, you are part of God's redemptive purposes of His kingdom's victory over Satan and this dominion of darkness. Awesome. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Friends, here's what we want to take from this passage. God was addressing this serpent, but he gave us all a picture of this great battle that is happening, this spiritual war, and it is happening all around us. And the difference is this. There are children of the devil and there are children that are born of God. If you turn to Christ, you are one of his children. And then in this life, you can live for his kingdom. Let's pray.